confidence to today. So we've been on a journey through 1 Samuel and today we come to the most or one of the most famous historic events recorded in scripture. The story of David and Goliath. Now you will not be getting a scholarly uh, sermon today. I'm not going to go into all the historical detail and information etc. Eddie and I were having a discussion about uh, what happened to Goliath's head the other day um, and we had a little uh, chat about that but I'm not going into that sort of scholarly detail today. I want to share with you what I believe God wants to say to us from this story in life application today. Nearly everybody's heard of the story of David and Goliath, but sadly for the majority, it's just a good story, a myth, a fable. For some, a legend, fictional story, or sadly for many, just a kid's fairy tale. However, as a Bible-believing church, we believe that all scripture is God-authored, God-breathed. All right? We believe that Scripture is uh, living and active, flawless, infallible, and this is the most important thing, it's complete. Don't try and add to the Word of God. Scripture tells us that we shouldn't do that. So the Bible is our authority in all matters of faith and life. So David and Goliath, we believe as a church here, is not just a historic fact, but it's one that is active and relevant to us today. Now the kings in Israel were not autonomous in their authority and power. They were subject to the law of the Lord and the word of the prophet. They were instruments of God's rule over his people. So they did not have their own autonomous power. Both king and people were expected to recognise God as their ultimate sovereign. Saul, sadly, demonstrated his rebellion and obedience to the requirements of this, what we call theocratic office. He decided to do his own thing. He went his own way and disobeyed God and the prophet. And of course this led to his rejection as king and one of the saddest words in scripture, the removal of God's spirit. As far as I can tell, there's only one person specifically in scripture where it says that God removed his spirit from them. And that was Saul. What a tragic comment to have God's spirit removed from you. And uh, Samuel comes along and anoints David and we all know the story and the reason I said I hoped encounter weren't going out this morning was because the first point I want to share with you this morning has particular relevance to those who are teenagers okay if you're a teenager here this morning then you would relate to David or not to be sexist it could be Davina which is the Hebrew equivalent of David Okay, so if there's some Davids and Davinas here under 18, I want to tell you, you can be like David, a world changer. All right? 
Of course, we can all be world changers, and if you're not a teenager, Ben's smiling at me, you can still be a world changer. You're still... Oh, yes, Ben, pull the other one. But seriously, David was probably only 15 or 16. That's what we think when he was uh, anointed king and slew Goliath. But you see, in God's service, the Christian life, in other words, your age doesn't define your maturity. Can I say that again? I think this is so important that we grasp this point. Your age doesn't define your, your maturity, nor your value, nor your usefulness, your potential, your identity, or your wisdom. So you can be 16 and you could be more mature in your faith and walk with God than me at 76 and three quarters. All right? You can. I think that's so important that we recognize it. So let's start there this morning. Age must never be seen as a deterrent to doing great deeds and exploits for God. Paul writes to Timothy, and young Timothy probably started touring on the missionary journeys with Paul in his teens. And Paul wrote to him this. He says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. It says despise in the old versions. The message says, Don't let anyone put you down because you're young. Beware peer pressure, sibling pressure, Older people saying things to you. And we'll see what they tried with David. Cultural pressures. Saul said to David, You can't fight Goliath, you're only a boy. Plop. Put him down, right? And then, of course, his big brother, Eliab. What does he say to him? Why have you come down here? What about the sheep? You're neglecting the sheep number of people tried to put David down. But he wasn't going to be put off. He knew what God's call was upon his life. And the key is what God said to Samuel. God doesn't look at the things man looks at. Okay? Just let me read that to you again. God does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Nick quoted that last week. So important. God's interested in your heart, not your age, not your experience. He's interested in your heart. And that is so critical. David was a man after God's heart. That's what it tells us in Scripture. His heart was for God. He trusted God. He was full of faith. And that's why... I've given the title this morning, Faith and Faithfulness, Not Fame. He was courageous, fearless. He persevered. He wasn't put off by all these negative, discouraging attitudes and comments. This is what he said. I come against you, Goliath, in the name of the Lord Almighty. He realised that he was serving a much superior power than nine-foot-four Goliath. Tall Goliath. He says, 
The battle is the Lord's. Don't worry. It's won. Because the battle is the Lord's. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. The first thing was that he had a heart after God. And for all of us, not just the teens, God's looking for a people whose hearts are after him. And the second key to David's magnificent (coughs) victory over Goliath was this. When he was anointed, it says, From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came on David in power. David was anointed not just with oil by Samuel, but he was anointed with the Spirit of God. If we're going to be world changers, if we're going to turn this world upside down, which is what I believe God wants us to do, we don't only need to have a heart for him, we need to have his anointing. It's not, as Colin Urquhart says, it's not about being appointed, it's about being anointed. God needs a people who are anointed with the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not by power, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit to carry out the exploits, the challenges, the tasks, the plans that God calls us to be. He wants us to be world changers. All right, you say that's great for the young people, but no, it's for all of us today. Karen prayed for me before the service and said something which was very encouraging. She said that uh, God has lots more for Pam and I to do, even in our late 70s. We can still be world changers in our late 70s. Yes, George, we can still be world changers. Amen? Amen. So, specifically, I wanted to start with the young teenagers. As you can see, the application here, but it's for all of us. God wants us to be world changers. He wants us to have hearts that are after him. That's that's his first... (coughs) desire he looks at our hearts and he wants us to be filled and anointed with the holy spirit we're a charismatic church croydon jubilee all right and we need to know that anything we do needs to be with the anointing of the holy spirit i finish this first point i'm going to be a good baptist with three points this morning nicky gumbel says The older I get, the more I appreciate the wisdom of the generations before me. And the more I realise the responsibility we have to pass the baton on to the next generation. So young people, back to you again. Are you ready to pick up this baton and be world changers? Church, let's pray for our young people. Let's pray for them to pick up this baton. There are lots of things I'm afraid I can't do anymore physically but Lord they've got energy they've got verve okay they put me to shame watching these young people I'm sorry I have to go to bed at 10 o'clock at night they're all up partying still enjoying themselves well that's great of course it is they've got the energy so let's pray for them let's love them let's believe in them let's believe in this generation that they will be world changers. Let's encourage them. So there we are, Angus. That's why I asked for the young people perhaps to be around this morning. Second point is, how do we face 
giant problems. As well as physical giants, there are metaphorical giants. There are in what appear, anyway, seemingly insurmountable problems and issues today. I've lived 76 years, as I said. I've lived through many, many upheavals in this nation and in the world, but I can't remember a time quite like today. Am I being negative or am I being realistic? Okay? There are giants in your personal life. You may have health problems today, family problems, relationship problems. You may have debt problems. You may have addiction problems, all sorts of things. God wants you to slay with his help those giants. You may have, like we do have, national problems. I've talked about some of the issues, economic, cost of living, terrorism, racism, crime. Five kids stabbed just over the weekend in London. Homelessness. There are global problems. Climate change, of course. Pandemics. War. (coughs) There are things like uh, human trafficking, modern-day slavery, extreme poverty. Thousands die daily unnecessarily in this world. I read this recently. Many of the world's water sanitation problems could be solved if funded by the money we Europeans spend on ice cream every year. Isn't that a staggering thought? If we stopped eating ice cream and gave it to uh, sanitation projects, it could, but it could help to solve, or could solve the sanitation problems. Other giants in the church, disunity. The perception that church is irrelevant. People falling away. So, you can have two attitudes to all these massive, apparently insurmountable problems. Just as you can have two attitudes when facing a giant. The first one is, it's so big there's nothing I can do. The other is, it's so big I can't miss. Do you like that? It's so big I can do nothing, or it's so big I can't miss. Let's have... the can't miss attitude now I'm not suggesting it's easy and I'm not uh, suggesting that uh, this is some sort of you know uh, lovely recipe for solving the world's problems but we won't get anything done without uh, facing up to the need for great faith any of you heard of Smith Rigglesworth great man of God he started out digging up uh, vegetables with his mother in the fields in Link- I think it was Lincolnshire. He was absolutely illiterate. Uh, his wife taught him to read and write. And then over the coming years, having been touched by the power of the Holy Spirit, he saw many, many miraculous signs and wonders. The dead raised, many healed. Thousands brought to faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what he said. Not some uh, simple code. He says, great faith 
is a product of great fights. Great testimony is the outcome of great tests. Great triumph can only come out of great trials. So it's not going to be easy. And I'm not suggesting that. But here is some of the answers. Great faith is a product of great fights. So, that's something that we need to think about this morning. The metaphorical giants that we may be facing. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I've called you friends. Having Jesus at the centre of your life allows you to tackle the giants. I'm going to come back to this at the end. Is Jesus at the centre of your life? If he is, tackling the giants will be a different cup of tea than if he is not at the centre of your life. Jesus says, "Allow." <coughs> this is my command, love each other. That's how we tackle the giants in the church. We love one another. Jesus says, when the counsellor comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, he will testify about me, and you also must testify. The Holy Spirit enables us to testify about Jesus and take on these giants, these challenges, to see our society transformed. So friends, this morning, let's have the right attitude towards the giants that we are facing personally, nationally, globally, and in the church. Let us be a people who uh, know it's so big there's nothing I can do is the wrong attitude. The right attitude is it's so big I can't miss with Jesus at the centre of my life. So that's the second point. How do we face the metaphorical giants? The third thing is, I've titled it, I'm trying to be topical here, I'm the celebrity, get David out of here. Okay? I can't think I can be more topical. Oh, this week, in the last couple of weeks, the media has been full of celebrities who are feeling <coughs> unloved. Or celebrities, apparent celebrities, who've got all sorts of issues with themselves. Ronaldo this week, oh, what a sad story that is, eh? Earning half a million pound a week, and he's got a huge ego problem. This guy Hancock, what a massive problem he's got. When you come to God, leave your ego at the door. If you want to remember something today, when you come to God, leave your ego at the door. When you come to church, leave your ego at the door. Because God wants a people who know who they are and know their relationship with him. Saul resented David's success and popularity. The women danced and sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. All Saul's insecurities and high recognition affirmation needs surfaced. We heard from Natalie how he hid in the baggage. Do you remember that? When God was looking for him, he hid in the baggage. 
He built a monument in his own honour. That's a classic one, isn't it? He blamed the soldiers and people for his disobedience. It's always somebody else's fault. He wanted to be honoured before the elders and before Israel. He wanted recognition. And he promoted David to please its officers and the people. And it says in 1 Samuel 18, And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. In the Corinthian church, Paul says that they had a problem with jealousy. He said they were worldly and behaving like men, mere men. Shakespeare described jealousy as the green-eyed monster that mocks the meat it feeds on. Jealousy is the most, a most disruptive and uh, awful thing. Ultimately, Saul got so carried away with his jealousy, he tried to kill him. And we all know the stories of throwing the spear at David's. Proverbs says, Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? It's such a destructive thing. You see, my identity is not in who people think I am. I've got to be careful what I say here. Of course it's important that we do have a sense of people respecting us. But at the end of the day, my identity, my security, and my position stems from who I am in Christ. Nothing else really matters. I'm a child of God. And it's tempting, though, to compare ourselves with others. When God blesses them, to start thinking, when is that going to happen to me? We should bless others and not envy their success, recognition, popularity, etc., To do so can only hinder our own blessing, spiritual health and growth. We should know how to handle praise and we should know how to handle criticism. I found this little quote this week. When people praise you, don't let it go to your head. When people criticise you, don't let it go to your heart. Does that make sense? Praise, we all accept and enjoy praise. But don't let it go to your head. And when you get criticism, don't let it go to your heart. Saul was so jealous of David's success that he completely lost the plot. We haven't got time today to look into what happened, but it was absolutely tragic. And the man who had saved the nation, he tried to kill. So there's point number three. We've looked today at this whole matter of God took somebody of 15 or 16 from obscurity and made him a world changer. And God can do that with you if your heart is right before God and if you are filled with the Holy Spirit.
This story teaches us how to face problems, even apparently insurmountable ones. It teaches us to beware of envying and being jealous of people's success, etc. And to know our true identity in Christ. And then I can't leave this sermon. I've done it in half an hour, as I promised I would. This whole story of David and the history of David uh, tells us something very more profound. What's the first chapter of Matthew all about? It's a very boring in one sense, but it's not. It's very significant. It's the genealogy of Jesus. And it tells us 28 generations after David, and in his lineage was a person who was born the ultimate world changer. And that person would conquer the final giants of sin and death. We'll be singing carols soon. Uh, I love singing carols, like most of us, I'm sure, and they're going to practice this afternoon. And uh, in when, while well, shepherds watched their flocks by night, is a line that says, To you in David's town this day is born of David's line a saviour who is Christ the Lord. He didn't look for fame. In fact, he tried to avoid it when people <coughs> put it, tried to put him on a pedestal. He needed time with his father and he used to go into the uh, quiet desert areas. He didn't need recognition. He wasn't a people pleaser. He was totally secure in his father's love and faithful to his calling. He gave his life on the cross for our sins and rose again conquering death. That's the ultimate world changer. Do you know him? Folk, do you know the ultimate world changer? Because I think whatever is going on around us, we need to know the love of Jesus. If we're going to turn this world upside down, we won't do it by techniques. Sorry. We won't do it by having wonderful <coughs> projects and programs. We'll have it by a people whose heart is after God, who love Jesus, a people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and want to look to see the world to upside down. So today, do you know Jesus? I come back to that. Spurgeon used to say, whatever you preach on, take it back to the cross. Absolutely right. So I don't know my audience here today. I know 90% of you. But I just would like to finish by saying, do you know Jesus? Who was in that lineage of David. David, David did great exploits for God. But Jesus is the ultimate world changer who tackled, slew the two great Goliaths that we might be free. Death, 
holds no terrors for me because Jesus, the world changer, came and defeated it. When he rose again, death is dead because of Jesus. He conquered sin and its power and influence and control in my life. So, we've looked at David and Goliath in a slightly different way today, maybe, than you expected. But may I just challenge you with this uh, thought. Are we a people who want to turn our society and our world upside down for Jesus? If we do, let's have hearts for God and let's be a people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. We're now going to just hand back to Jim. But if there's any young people here this morning, and you're a teenager and you fit into that category, you're a David or a Davina, at the end of the service, I'd love, and I know George would love to pray for you, that you may be world changers wherever God has placed you. So if that's you, we're going to be sitting in the front row here, George, all right? And we'll invite them to come at the end of the service and we'd love to pray for them, wouldn't we? That God will fill them with his Holy Spirit and make them world changers in their society. God bless you all. Thank you very much, Brian. Some absolute gems that uh, you've shared.